This morning's reading is from Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amy, for reading the scripture. (laughs) Well, good morning and happy Easter to all of you. Uh, My name's Emily, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I can't wait. And I hope that we'll get to worship together again and again and again, and that we get to know each other and build relationship together as church and community. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online today as well. We are so thankful that you are worshiping with us too. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for Easter for the gift of the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, and what that means for our lives. Lord, we lift our lives to you and help us to give to you tomorrow what we're not able to give you yet today, that we might grow in our faith as disciples and followers of yours and grow in our faith. And we pray today that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable And pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, our redeemer, our refuge, and our risen Savior. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it was several years ago around Easter time, and I went to my cousin's house for dinner. She had a table that was long and full of people from one end to the other. I only knew two of them, my cousin and her husband. So I had not said much beyond my name. A basket of these wonderful homemade rolls was being passed around the table, and I took one and put it on my plate. They were large and buttery and yummy. Conversation turned awkwardly to religion, of all things, which you know you're not supposed to do in a setting like that. And someone at this end of the table started talking about Scientology and said, that's hard to believe. They laughed. Someone on the other end of the table started talking about Mormonism and how that was hard to believe, and they laughed. 
And then the person sitting beside me said, Christianity is not much better. A virgin birth? Somebody raised from the dead? And Jesus was like homeless, right? She said, I think that's hard to believe. And they laughed. And I shot a glance down at my cousin who was sitting at the end of the table and she was looking at me with a tone. (laughs) And that tone said, please don't say anything. So I picked up that amazing roll and shoved it in my mouth. And I didn't say a word. What a strange experience to sit there eating my roll while a table of people made light of this faith in Christ that holds me together every single day. As I listened to what they said, I thought, on the other hand, it does sound kind of hard to believe. It does start with a virgin birth. And then Jesus grows up and starts challenging the religious elders and the rules of the faith. He begins eating with people others didn't eat with. And he begins talking to and including people others didn't include. And then he calls this band of followers, vigilantes, tax collectors, watermen, you name it. And then he taught that group of followers to live life the way he did giving it away out of love and service to God. And then he was called a heretic. He was called a radical, sentenced to death, and executed. And then that motley band of followers abandoned him one by one. It does sound a little crazy, a little hard to believe. It occurred to me that the disbelief of my cousin's dinner guests sounded a lot like the gospel of Mark. To me, it would fit right in with it. This gospel makes a point to say that not only do Richmond dinner guests have a hard time believing in Jesus, but the followers of Jesus have a hard time believing in Jesus too. At least that's so in the gospel of Mark. It's not until the eighth chapter that they decide Jesus is the Messiah and then for the remainder of the gospel they have second and third and fourth thoughts about it. The entire gospel then ends as we heard Amy read it today with his followers running away in fear and questions and not saying anything. It is crazy and hard to believe. And when it comes to the story that we celebrate today, Mark's version of it is my favorite of the four Gospels. When Mark tells the story of the resurrection, it starts with three women taking burial spices to complete a burial ritual that they didn't have time to do before Jesus' body was hastily placed in the tomb. They were likely coming to make peace like we do when someone dies, to get some closure in their grief after everything had ended so awfully and tragically and painfully and they hadn't known what to do about that. When they get to the tomb, 
that large stone they were worried about moving has already been rolled away. And a young man in white, or perhaps an angel, it wasn't Jesus, was inside the tomb. The women were, to say the least, alarmed. And the first thing that angel says is, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He has already gone on to Galilee. Go tell the disciples and Peter, you can see him there. Can you imagine? We have likely heard the story so much that it's lost how alarming it is. So let's unpack it a little bit. Why is Mark's version such a good one? There are a number of things that stand out. First, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why put it that way? It's the only gospel it does. Peter's a disciple like the other disciples, right? He's brash. He's impetuous. He's dedicated. He's that go big or go home disciple. But when did we see him last in the gospel of Mark? It was the end of chapter 14 when this dedicated go big or go home disciple had denied knowing Jesus or knowing anything about Jesus or ever having been around Jesus. And so the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because not once, not twice, but three times, Peter had gone through this denial. And when this dedicated go big or go home disciple realized what he'd done, he broke down and wept bitterly. So, Go tell the disciples and Peter. That word and in Greek has a number of different meanings. One of those meanings is especially. And Reverend Dr. Mickey Eford, who's taught biblical interpretation at Duke for decades, says that what the angel may really be saying is go tell the disciples, especially Peter, to go and meet him in Galilee. Because Jesus wants to send the message to Peter to know that he is included and welcomed and forgiven and loved just as much as the rest of the disciples. And that is good news for any of us who have ever stumbled in faith from time to time or shoved a warm roll in our mouths when we could have defended our faith and defended our relationship with Jesus. Another thing, the angel says Jesus is waiting for them in Galilee. Why Galilee? Why does that matter? It's where Jesus, it's from. It's where this whole thing got started and much of it took place. Things have come full circle if they're returning to Galilee, which anchors and roots everything back in their community. Galilee is a lively place with over 200 villages. And the angel is saying, don't hang around here in an empty tomb or decorate it. We've got ministry to do. And people beside whom we get to live it out. The story didn't end. Now we get to do it together. But even after hearing that, this strange thing happens. And we might think that the women would be excited, 
right? Overjoyed like we are today to hear and see and witness this resurrection. But as one writer says, there is a big difference between reading a story and actually being in it. So the women, the first witnesses to this incredible resurrection, run away in fear and don't tell anyone. It's that crazy, that hard to believe. And the Gospel of Mark ends right there, unfinished, unresolved, left hanging literally in the middle of a sentence. What do we make of that? I know there are additional verses in our Bibles, but most scholars believe that verse 8 is the actual end of the Gospel of Mark because the earliest versions of Mark that have ever been discovered end right there, hanging. And I was taught in seminary to stop right there too. There's a little debate about it, but scholars believe that the extra verses were tacked on by scribes or monks who didn't really like that it was left hanging like that unresolved and wanted to add a happier ending. What's called the longer ending didn't show up until the second century, long after the gospel was written, and what's called the shorter ending showed up sometime by the fourth century. So what do we do with a cliffhanger for an ending? I actually like that it ends this way. I like it a lot because some of God's best work is done in places in our lives that feel like they are left hanging and unresolved and not ending in the middle of a sentence and we have no idea what to do next and that we know sometimes is when God is just getting started. Amen. All through this Gospel of Mark, the disciples have a hard time with faith. They are incredibly ordinary and human and have these questions and doubts and fears. And this, in the Gospel of Mark, is the prototype for a disciple. And with that unresolved ending, this theme continues loud and clear. And when those women come face to face with resurrection and don't know what to do about it, I don't blame them one bit If they hadn't been afraid or stymied or stumped, something might have been wrong. Is the story of Jesus hard to believe? Yes. Is the story of Jesus crazy? Yes, in the best of ways. And the world needs some crazy like that. And that's one reason we call it faith. We need it. I need it. You need it. The resurrection defies what we know in this world. We tend to think that death gets the last word and that hate and evil and despair and darkness get pretty loud and unruly at times and think they get to write the headlines and relish in it and they're pretty good at it. Perhaps you've noticed. An empty tomb, though, means the reversal of all of that. Thank God for God designed crazy. Because the resurrection means that life conquers death, love 
conquers hate. Light conquers darkness. Salvation conquers sin. And the power of God conquers any evil. And it is God who gets the last word every single time. And that is a word of love and a word of life. And if you've come today because you're hanging on by a thread, know that we don't have to look any farther for hope. Because God plants it in the resurrection firmly so that it reverberates and echoes generation after generation after generation. And in that we can believe. We need God-designed crazy in this world. But I wonder if that day the women hoped Jesus' death was the end. What do I mean? Jesus had called them and lived out with them and the other disciples a faith that was hard. It changed the rules of religion, loving God, not just a little, but with all that we are, with our strength and our might and our mind and our soul and our hearts. Making faith not a list of rules, but this grace that we can't even earn. Loving neighbors, loving enemies, self-sacrifice, not self-aggrandizement, giving away our lives and taking care of the least and the last and the lost and loving others in such a way that it breaks down barriers instead of setting them up. I wonder if they were in some ways relieved when he died because maybe they were hoping they could go back to pre-Jesus life and faith like they knew it before because it was easier when it was so black and white. But if Jesus is risen and waiting for them in the community in Galilee, then it wasn't over. It was just beginning and life and faith were going to get even messier. And thank God for that. Galilee. That's where the angel tells them that Jesus will be in the community, not hanging out at an empty tomb. Jesus today is already there in the community, calling us, his followers, to join him there too. In our hometown in our streets, in our gyms, in our businesses, our ball fields, our schools, our neighborhoods, our markets, our prisons, our dinner parties, restaurants, and more. All the places that we do life. Reverend Gary Charles writes that Galilee symbolizes where hard work is done. It's for people who've lost their bearings when our faith flickers at best. And sometimes we wonder about our own faith from day to day. Galilee is where life is messy and we gather in dinner parties and aren't sure what to say about Jesus when the homemade rolls pass by. Someone who was leaving the early service today told me I should have taken the roll and shoved it in somebody else's mouth. I said, that's not really my personality. (laughs) 
Plus, my cousin had something else up her sleeve. Ah. She was loving them into faith, right? She had invited people intentionally to her house who didn't know about God's love in Jesus Christ because she was up to something beautiful and working to build relationship with them and grow them in faith one by one by one. The unresolved ending of the Gospel of Mark means that God is now writing the rest of the gospel through us, through us, through you and me with our own Galilees, our own lived lives of faith and discipleship. And how have we seen it already? Think about COVID, although we get tired of talking about it. The precautions that we took to take care of each other during the spikes in COVID closed church buildings. And didn't it look like churches were left hanging, unresolved in the middle of a sentence, not sure what to do next? Some panicked and thought that the church was through if we couldn't be in the building together, that God is bigger than that. And don't get me wrong, I am so grateful that we are here today in person and online. And I'm grateful that last Easter we all gathered across the street in Clo Field. There's something special that happens when we get to be in this room. But when COVID closed down church buildings, the church left the building in the best of ways. Because God is still about writing new chapters with the gospel. And we went online and we went into the community. And Pastor Monica started that Love Your Neighbor Network. And we had dinner parties and campfire church. And we had porch church and new ways and new expressions of faith so that we can be with people and live faith and do faith and grow in faith right where people are. Because being a disciple where real messy life happens is what we're called to do no matter what conflict or struggles that we have or dead ends are thrown at us. Jesus turns dead ends into empty tombs. Pastor Monica mentioned this church, by the way, started over 150 years ago. And did you know that we're celebrating today our 20th anniversary by having Easter in this sanctuary? This church moved to a literal dead end many years ago. And eventually we built this sanctuary And this is our 20th anniversary in the sanctuary for Easter. Isn't that incredible? Doesn't that deserve an amen? Amen. Amen. I love that God is crazy like that. And we get to be part of it and keep the story going and keep it going strong. The women, remember, ran away at first and didn't say anything. But they told somebody (laughs) because we are still here today telling the same story to one another. So be like the women and tell the story and tell it well and live it out by the power and grace of God. How is Jesus calling you to meet him in Galilee? Because he's waiting in the community for us to show up. He's already present here. Thank God for God-designed crazy. (laughs) Because we need some crazy like that in this world. 
crazy that is written by the power and grace and love of God in Jesus Christ. Let God write verse 9 with you in the Gospel of Mark and finish that Gospel and finish it strong because Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. He is risen, right? He is risen indeed. Amen and amen.